Welcome to Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation, and instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star and zero on your touchdown telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. How would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop? Dr. Carolyn Masner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Grace. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, Current Perspectives on Cancer Survivorship. It's a very important program and one that I know many of you have waited to hear, um, and we have wonderful speakers today. And today's program is supported by Pharmacyclics LLC, an AbV company, and Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, and a grant from Genentech. And I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. And we have over 300 participants on the program today who come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. So really, it's a lot of you, and um, we're delighted to have all of you on the call today. And we also have international participants from Canada, Denmark, Lithuania, Spain, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And we, again, are just um, delighted that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. And now it's really my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Emily Tonosoros. And Dr. Tonosoros is Director, National Cancer Institute, Office of Cancer Survivorship, National Cancer Institute. And Dr. Tonorosos will be addressing overview of cancer survivorship in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, managing post-treatment side effects, late effects, and quality of life concerns. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Tonorosos. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and for the opportunity to speak today. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I I'm so grateful to have the chance to speak to you all about uh, the issues that are facing cancer survivors. As Ms. Messner uh, noted, my name is Emily Tonarezos, and I am Director of the Office of Cancer Survivorship at the National Cancer Institute. And I am also a general internist, and in my clinical practice, I care for adults who had childhood cancer. I just wanted to mention, first off, the mission of the Office of Cancer Survivorship. The office works to uh, support cancer survivors to promote the longevity and the quality of life for all people who've been diagnosed with cancer and their family members and their caregivers. And I wanted to point out that we do consider a person a cancer survivor from the time of diagnosis through the balance of life. And so in my outline for today, we mentioned talking about post-treatment side effects and late effects, but actually um, people are cancer survivors from the moment of diagnosis and appreciating that uh, you could be on cancer treatment or be experiencing periods of time on and off cancer treatment following a diagnosis. And that you still are a cancer survivor um, in that setting, and we really think about survivors um, in that way. And so uh, we have a very um, 
I would say, inclusive definition of cancer survivor that actually came to us from the advocacy community. So the Office of Cancer Survivorship has been around for about 25 years. And by the time the office was founded, there was a very active cancer survivor advocacy community. And they had been working for many years with this definition that says that you are a survivor from the time of diagnosis. That's a definition that has served us very well in the research community. And I think it has served us well over time as the number of people who are living with advanced and metastatic cancer is growing. I also wanted to mention that um, people can experience side effects from treatment that can happen during cancer treatment and then persist. And one example of that type of side effect is something like neuropathy. So sometimes during treatment, people start to experience neuropathy and it doesn't get better even if the treatment goes off for a period of time. You can also have side effects from treatment that occur years after treatment has ended. So, for example, there is a drug called adriamycin or doxorubicin. This is in a class of drugs called anthracyclines that can have an impact on the heart. And we can see problems in that setting showing up years after treatment has ended. And that actually brings me to one of the points that we'll be discussing later, which is that um, continued to be, continuing to be monitored for side effects or late effects from treatment is very important um, in the setting of cancer survivorship. I wanted to say a few words about COVID-19. Uh, I think the last two years have been extremely difficult for all people, but the issues that have faced cancer survivors during this time have been somewhat unique. Number one, I think there has been extreme concern about getting COVID, about perhaps having a more severe uh, case of COVID. If you're a cancer survivor compared to someone who has not been treated for cancer, and also concern that if you're going to the medical center for appointments, for checkups, maybe for some recommended testing, that you're putting yourself at risk for exposure to the um, COVID virus. And my personal experience with my patients has been uh, that I have seen some real reluctance to come in for checkups and to be seen for follow-up appointments. And that is something that is concerning to me as a provider and also um, in my role as director of the Office of Cancer Survivorship. What we've seen over the last two years is that, thankfully, most of the evidence seems to suggest that cancer survivors are not at risk for more severe COVID outcomes than people who are not cancer survivors which is to say that the severe cases of COVID are just as likely among people who've been treated for cancer compared to people who have not been treated for cancer. There are some unique exceptions to that rule, but overall the large body of literature that we're seeing on COVID-19 seems to suggest that for the most part, most cancer survivors are experiencing the same types of illness as their peers. And that's really good news. And I hope that for survivors, you feel reassured by that news. Of course, taking precautions is a good idea for everyone in this country. And getting vaccinated and getting boosted 
does seem to work for the most part for most cancer survivors just as well as it does for people who have not been treated for cancer. The one exception to this um, that we have seen in a few different settings is people who've been given a drug called uh, rituximab or rituxan. This is a drug that um, is used to treat people with lymphoma and can have a lasting impact on the number of B cells or a certain kind of white blood cells in your blood. If you think you might have gotten that medicine, I would recommend you talk to your care team about it and ask them whether they think um, your B cells might have been impacted by your treatment. Apart from that very small um, or select population of cancer survivors, we are seeing for the most part that the vaccines and the boosters are working just as well in people who've been treated for cancer um, as they are in the general population. So that is also very good news. And I hope, um, I, I sincerely hope that survivors who are listening to this presentation are feeling reassured that they, that they will continue to take the um, precautions that are being recommended in their community, but they will also feel that it is safe for them to come in and get the recommended healthcare because I'm extremely concerned about survivors who are not having their checkups who are not getting recommended testing um, due to fears of COVID-19, and that um, we really don't know actually the magnitude of that problem. And it's an issue that we're talking a lot about at NCI. And we can, um, we can start to think about ways to try to mitigate that impact. But for individuals listening to this call, I would just ask you to check in with your care team, find out what you might be due for, and um, take those precautions, but um, make sure that you're getting the recommended care. The last thing I wanted to mention is that um, part of the mission of the of the Office of Cancer Survivorship is not just the the length of survival or the duration of survival, but also quality of life. And we are funding um, a lot of research on making sure that life after a diagnosis is a high quality life. That means a life that's free from physical illness, but also that's free from anxiety and worries about the future, where people um, feel happy and satisfied in their life, where the body is has peak physical function, and um, the relationships with peers and their um, optimized. And um, with that in mind, I, I am going to um, let my colleague, the, um, Dr. Michelle Malika, our public health, our um, senior advisor in the Office of Cancer Survivorship, speak to the issue of fear of recurrence. But that is um, certainly a priority in the Office of Cancer Survivorship. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Tonerosa. So that was really an outstanding presentation and just really set the stage for the entire program today. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, but thank you so much for your really, um, the depth of your, of your presentation um, for cancer survivorships. Um, I, I think um, it really, I think it resonated for many of the cancer survivors on this call today. So thank you so much. Um, and. Our, our next speaker is uh, Dr. Michelle Malika, and Dr. Malika is Senior Advisor, Office of Cancer Survivorship, National Cancer Institute, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences. Dr. Malika will be addressing fear of recurrence, finding your new normal, and the importance of treatment summaries. 
It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Malika. Thank you very much, Dr. Messner, for this invitation. I am really excited to be joining um, my esteemed colleagues today. Um, and as Dr. Messner mentioned, I am a senior advisor in the Office of Cancer Survivorship at the National Cancer Institute. My background is also in oncology nursing. So I cared for many people who were diagnosed with cancer and either completed treatment or were facing long-term life with the impact of cancer and its treatment. Um, and I, I'm very passionate about cancer survivors and caregivers and all of those that are impacted by this illness. Um, so today I'm going to sort of extend what Dr. Tanarezos, um discussed and talk about transitions after you finish your cancer treatment or as you head into long-term cancer survivorship with or without um, cancer and maybe transitioning on and off um, of your treatment. Um, I'll start with finding your new normal. So it's really important to remember that life most likely will not be what it was before your cancer diagnosis. Um, you might experience things like positive changes after your cancer diagnosis and if your treatment has completed. You might be reflective about your life and about your relationships and maybe how you've grown through this experience. Um, you also might feel like you are not back to normal. Um, and, and it's important to remember that this is, this is a new time in your life. You may have, um, as Dr. Tonarezos mentioned, some physical issues. Um, you might have trouble um, with your daily activities or issues with distress or anxiety or feeling down. It's really important to talk with your provider about your experiences in case you need to follow up on anything or if there um, are resources available. And there are lots of resources and support available for everything that you're experiencing. I also want to talk a little bit about fear of recurrence, which is worrying that your cancer will come back or that it will progress. Um, this, is, this is normal, and this is something that a lot of cancer that individuals that are um, impacted by cancer worry about. It's really important to talk with your providers and with your trusted family and friends. Don't hold that alone. Make sure that you seek help um, to talk with psychologists or other social workers or counselors. Your provider can also help you um, think through um, what you're experiencing. And then also, as you're sort of facing life after your cancer diagnosis, coordinating care and transitioning between providers is challenging. It's challenging for patients and caregivers. It's challenging as you move into long-term survivorship. It's really important to ask questions of your providers. Ask them, who will handle what in terms of my follow-up care? When do I need to see my primary care provider? How will they receive information about my cancer and treatment? Or what follow-up care or tests do I need? Um, as with any illness, you want to make sure to keep an updated list of medications that you are taking and bring that list and any questions you have every time you see your doctors and your providers. You also want to make sure all of your providers know about your cancer and your treatment history, even if you're seeing your provider for something else, like your diabetes or another issue. 
Um, your cancer history matters, and it matters when providers think through what treatments you should receive for other um, issues or concerns. So make sure that you bring that up to them. And one way that we can coordinate care and to help um, start the conversation as you're transitioning between providers and sort of life after a cancer diagnosis is through a treatment summary and survivorship care plan. So a treatment summary is a document that includes your health information, treatments that you may have received, any genetic testing that you've had done, as well as a care plan, which should guide follow-up care and tests. It might include things like symptoms that you, you should be aware of or that might be possible. It could also include testing and um, follow-up visits that you need to attend and who you need to see. Um, this um, treatment summary and survivorship care plan is a tool that you can make sure to use so that you are informed as patients and survivors and caregivers and so that your providers are informed about your health history. It's just a tool, though. It really shouldn't replace a, a discussion with your providers about what you need, and it, it can be useful to sort of guide the conversation but should not be in place of that. Um, you want to ask your oncology team to provide you with a treatment summary and survivorship care plan. And if they don't have one available, there are resources online that you can ask your provider to complete. Um, you also want to make sure you update your survivorship care plan or your documentation with any tests that you've had and the dates and make notes of any symptoms that you're experiencing so that you can report them to your provider. And finally, I, I want to also stress the importance in survivorship of involving your caregiver as part of your follow-up care and your survivorship care. A caregiver, as you all know, is a loved one or friend who provides you with support, with your medications, with decision-making, helping with meals and daily tasks, or providing transportation, even emotional support. Um, but the support of a caregiver isn't limited to when you're first diagnosed with cancer and going through treatment. It's important to ask for help and support and be specific about what you need. And if you are a caregiver, I, I want you to know that your needs don't stop just because your loved one has completed treatment for those who have completed treatment or as you head into long-term survivorship. Caregivers need support too, and you need to take care of yourself. Make sure that you keep up with your medical appointments and make time for yourself as much as you can and ask for help. I'll close just by saying that there are many resources out there, including the great resources through Cancer Care. So please take advantage of these resources and your support system as you navigate being a cancer survivor. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Malika. That was really outstanding. It's a wonderful presentation. And um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And I also just want to mention to everyone that um, Tomorrow you'll all be receiving a SurveyMonkey evaluation of the program, and but it, it does not just an evaluation. We'd like you to fill that out. But in addition to that, there will be all the resources that we've mentioned during the program today. Um, and so just to be so you're all aware of, of that, looking for those resources because they'll give you some additional resources to access as well. Thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you, Dr. Malika, during the um, Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is found, former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. 
And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing follow-up with your oncologist and primary care doctor, talking with your healthcare team about your survivorship questions and concerns, guidelines for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you, everybody, for taking the time to uh, tune in to this call, whether you're online or listening to us afterwards as a podcast. The um, informa- I'd like to expand a little bit on the information you got from Dr. Tornoresos and uh, Dr. Malika. Um, the, it is very confusing about who you need to go to uh, for your care during the period of survivorship. And when we continue with the definition that survivorship starts on the day of diagnosis and then lasts throughout your treatment as well as afterwards, um, it is often quite confusing. Um, in, in most cancer centers, whether you're treated in a comprehensive cancer center or an accredited cancer center as part of a general hospital or in a freestanding cancer center, there generally are medical oncologists, surgical oncologists, and radiation oncologists. And for people who get all of those treatments, the main uh, physician and the main provider's office um, during the time you're getting their treatment should be the first person to go to. <laughs> uh, it can be confusing. In some places, the handoff from one to the next is better than others. Um, but in general, um, that's really how we try to think of it during treatment. Often, uh, these offices have separate numbers to call, different staff is going to answer your questions. And these days, especially in some of the larger centers and those associated with um, general hospitals, many of them will actually have a single unified medical record. So a lot of the communication between all of these uh, cancer subspecialty groups and their staff actually happens um, electronically and it's not required that you pass information back and forth. If indeed you're seeing providers that work in two different health systems, they may or may not have that access, which is why one of the previous speakers suggested that it's good to keep a list of your medications. Some patients will actually keep copies, paper copies or electronic copies of all of the pertinent um, lab, lab tests and imaging studies so they can bring that to a provider who's not part of the network. Once treatment is finished, um, in, in general, after about 90 days after surgery and about 90 days after radiation therapy, when you'll be seeing either a, surgic, a surgical oncologist or a radiation oncologist for follow-up, many times people go back to their primary care providers. Sometimes that decision is out of our hands based upon our insurance plans and what the insurance will reimburse for those visits. So that that adds an extra dimension sometimes of confusion. But luckily, there are people in each of these offices, especially in the creditor programs, larger cancer centers, who will be able to help you figure that out. Um, uh, Social workers in the larger cancer centers or in the community uh, even sometimes the office managers know um, how the route works for someone who lives in your city, in your town, or who has your insurance who they've seen before. And, and that's how I would try to think about this. 
the um, the survivorship reports are extremely important uh, for a number of things, especially when you get information that you need to really be able to understand. You may not have to memorize the exact number of milligrams of a type of chemotherapy you had, but it would be good to have a reference where you would have the names of the chemotherapy if you've had radiation therapy exactly to what part of the body and what dose of radiation to get because that is really important for the rest of your life. Uh, and uh, other providers, even your dentist, may want to know how much radiation you've gotten. So it would be a good idea uh, to keep that information. As the previous speaker said, if um, if you're not working in a system where everybody has access to a unified medical record. Um, as with all visits, whether they're virtual now uh, as a result of the um, COVID-19 pandemic or um, uh, in person, having your questions lined up before the visit is really very helpful, very helpful to you, very helpful to your family and caregivers, and extremely helpful to the staff. Um, getting your questions answered is paramount in a follow in a co initial consultation and each follow up visit. Lots of details uh, happen during cancer treatment, and knowing what um, you'd like clarified is really important. Um, at times, you may not have a chance to get to all of them, so think about the priority and make sure to put the most important ones first. Um, it used to be that uh, before we, we did so many visits uh, virtually or through telehealth, that uh, family members or friends who would be helpful in your care um, would uh, come with you sometimes. That would be hard if people live in actually other cities or sometimes other countries. And one of the unusual bright spots in the terrible time we've just been living through through the COVID-19 pandemic is with virtual visits now. These people who are important in your lives or have, makes, have experience with cancer and cancer treatment will be able to join in to these visits uh, if they're done electronically. Telehealth has really blossomed during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we all hope that it stays around in some form uh, because it is extremely helpful for people who have trouble getting around, who uh, live in, in remote places where the cancer providers are far away and saves from driving a huge amount of um, distance um, to, the, to the provider's office and back. Uh, it's been extremely helpful in ways that uh, we could not anticipate before the pandemic. Um, the telehealth visits are sometimes conducted on a regular telephone, audio telehealth visits. They're often, though, conducted on um, a computer or a tablet or a smartphone, which can actually receive and, and uh, make video. So it has a screen and a camera, and you can watch things, and other people can see you. <clears throat> um, the number of the uh, systems that are used out in the tech world, these are called platforms, haven't been used up until the pandemic because they were not considered to be a fully private and confidential. Those rules have been relaxed a little bit, and we don't know when they will change back. But um, having the video visit can be extremely helpful, much better than an audio visit only. Um, for many of us, providers still not the same as being in the office, especially when a piece of physical exam is required in order to make a decision about what to do next. 
Um, if you are going to um, have a telehealth visit or whether it's audio or on video, make sure that you know um, the time it's going to be, especially if you're in another city or your relatives or friends are in another city who are participating, which time zone, if there's daylight savings time or not, because everybody needs to be on at the right time. If it's your first telehealth visit, um, I would verify the day before uh, the exact time as well as the technicalities about the call. Uh, are, are you going to be called? Do you have to call in? Will it be a video visit? Uh, do you need to have any special application or app or any uh, on your phone or on your computer? Most of the time for those systems, um, somebody from the provider's office will be in touch with you a day or two in advance to set all this up so it is as seamless as possible. Um, make sure your phone or your tablet or your computer is charged. It's terrible to go to all this work and um, have your battery um, peter out in the middle of the call. It's important to you. Um, so make sure everything is charged. Be in a quiet place. Set it up properly so you can be seen and you can see uh, what's and hear what's happening in the visit. Again, these are simple things that can make a big difference in a telehealth call. Um, the uh, question list, again, is vital whether you're in a person or on the telephone. Um, after the call, um, you may be asked to get um, some blood tests or um, some imaging, different uh, um, x-rays or scans, and that should be made clear to you. If not, you always can call back and speak with someone in the provider's office and clarify that. Sometimes all of that happens through the coordinated uh, system or platform, sometimes not, again, depending upon the situation. Um, one of the things that has been uh, also a revolution to all of us in the last few years with these electronic medical records is that um, patients and, and um, family members who are given entry can actually look at a lot of the documents that were usually kept in the provider's office only. So you may have access to uh, results from your lab tests, blood, urine, spinal fluid, you may have uh, results from um, x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, PET scans, uh, bone scans. You also may have access to uh, notes that are um, typed in as a, a summary of your visit. Sometimes it's just a summary, sometimes it's the actual notes. Because the information is sometimes posted um, in the portal, the entry that uh, patients and families have to these uh, medical record systems, um, it can be quite confusing because um, most people who aren't providers don't have medical backgrounds. Many people, even with medical backgrounds, are not working in, in oncology, and the information that comes back comes back without explanation. <laughs> Um, often there are just lists of test results, numbers. Um, many of the lab values come back with a normal range, but often um, not being in the normal range is normal and expected for someone during their treatment. So um, when looking at these uh, results, it really is important. If you, It seems like you don't understand them, and most people cannot put them into the proper context without training. 
to uh, schedule a few minutes on the phone with someone in your provider's office to um, to go over these results because they can be very misleading out of context. Uh, also, when reading the notes from the provider, there have been um, lots of things written in the last few months about the um, abbreviations that we all use. Um, many people who are unfamiliar with these systems think we just sit down and type everything out, but actually there are some fixed terms that drop down from the menu. Most of you who use computers are familiar with drop-down menus. A whole list of things comes down and you choose the one that seems best, but there have been a number of instances where people have read things and were um, quite upset by what they read because they don't know all the abbreviations. Uh, but one of the uh, classic ones uh, that has been written about recently is the abbreviation SOB, which could be, um, you know, not a nice thing <laughs> in, in colloquial English, but in providers generally means shortness of breath. There are many, many examples of that sort of an abbreviation. So if something is written that you think doesn't apply or you don't understand, please get clarification on it first. Some of the systems are now delaying um, the posting of these documents until someone in the provider's office can go over them with you. But uh, again, that's not uniform, and you just have to be careful to really have somebody help you understand what you read. So in a few minutes, we've gone over uh, lots of information about how to navigate uh, follow-up visits, um, whether they're in, in person or electronically. And the new electronic systems that we've all learned how to use rather quickly, and uh, it's going to take us all a while to use them to the best of their advantage for everybody. I'll stop there and turn this back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and just wonderful information for everybody. Um, and I'm sure there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. And. I'm going to say a few words about Cancer Care Services just so that um, you can access these free services if you wish. Um, so Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization and we provide help to people throughout the United States. Um, for those who are listening to the call globally, um, you can go to our website and post your question there and then one of our oncology social workers will get back to you with help in your location or your region of the country um, there are a lot of international um, resources out there as well, so we will help to connect you with those. Um, and um, we have about 40 master's level trained oncology social workers, and they're here to provide a host of services to you. So what are those services? Well, many people call our 800 number. It's a hopeline number. And actually, um, that number um, people call and usually have a specific request. Their phone is answered by an oncology social worker. They will address your concern or question, and then they will go over with you all the other services we offer. So what are those services? So we do offer, of course, support to people. We do offer practical uh, financial and co-payment assistance, which is restricted to people in the United States. So that basically, again, for people who are listening in globally, we would, if you emailed us uh, at Cancer Care, we would be able to, one of our oncology social workers would contact you and connect you with resources in your country. Um, so, but we do offer those services, have actually in our, throughout our entire 78-year-old 78 78 history of offering those services to people. 
Um, and they're very important, particularly now. Um, they've been very important to people. Um, and um, we also have a case management unit. So if we don't offer the service that you're requesting, um, the staff there will actually go with you virtually and find you a resource to meet your need. And it will stay with you until that need is met. So, for example, what might those needs be? So it could be issues around food insecurity, not having enough money for food or not having enough money for your rent or mortgage or housing and many other things like that. And so our staff will assist you with getting those needs met. We do offer online support groups, um, and also we do offer um, uh, support to people individually as well. Um, and we also offer um, help to um, uh, people in terms of um, these workshops. We do about a 75 of them per year on different types of cancers and different topics, like today's cancer survivorship. But we do the many different topics and types of cancer that we do programs on. And we do offer publications as well. And lastly, we do have a pet assistance program for people who have uh, um, you know, a cat or a dog and they really are not able to care, they're concerned about their being able to care for their um, uh, um, their pet during um, their treatment, or um, or don't have anyone to walk the dog or to take care of these things. We do assist people with those concerns. Um, so those are gives you a thumbnail sketch of the services we offer. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask uh, Grace to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to. Um, uh, if you could explain to people how to queue up for questions, I want to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Grace? Thank you, Dr. Messner. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchdown telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. And we have questions from our participants. Um, and this is a question for Dr. Um, um, uh, for Dr. Rosas. Um, as a childhood cancer survivor in Georgia, is there anything I can do to encourage coordinated care efforts post-treatment? I would like to improve for all survivors of cancer. Uh, that's such a beautiful question, and I think really speaks to what I have observed among cancer survivors, which is a feeling of wanting to help others who've been through similar experiences. And we see cancer survivors asking to participate in research and asking to, to participate in ways to, um, you know, promote and enhance the lives of other people who are going through cancer um, or their family members. And uh, I, I would recommend actually that you reach out directly um, to the cancer care resources to find out how you can be involved with getting um, with helping other survivors. Uh, another option is actually um, through the National Cancer Institute. We have an Office of Advocacy Relations. If you go to the nci.gov website, there you will see. Um, oh, it's called OAR. It's um, an office at the NCI where people who've had experiences with cancer can participate um, in um, speak to researchers and NCI staff about their experiences. 
Oh, that's excellent. Oh, and would you, um, after the call, would you email me that resource and I will send it off oh, to everybody yes. on the program. It's yes. terrific. So we're sure that they get the right, <laughs> exactly the right. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. That was a wonderful question and a great answer. So thank you. Um, and uh, for Dr. Malika, should I see other doctors if I have late and long-term effects like a cardiologist or endocrinologist? That's that's an excellent question. So often your um, your provider will recommend that you see um, a specialist such as a cardiologist based on the symptoms that you're having. I would always start though with your oncology team and your primary care provider, and they can recommend they can do an assessment of your symptoms and recommend the necessary next steps. Excellent. Thank you. Um, these questions are really, we know we've done these programs before, but I have to say these first two questions are just really amazing. Um, so, um, so uh, for Dr. Fleischman, what do I do if my team is not addressing my side effects? I brought this up many times and get few answers. Well, um, I would... Uh, Try to ask again. Uh, I would. So I, I I think that perhaps maybe the team may feel that they're responsible to solve the problem, and um, they need to be knowledgeable about it. And then if uh, they're not coming up with the solution, ask them for some help for a um, provider and that specialist who is familiar with cancer. And I think that's been said before, and it can't be said enough times, that um, an ophthalmologist and a cardiologist, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but there are many, many more I could, I could call out. Uh, all of the, spe the, the specialists who treat cancer patients need to really have some familiarity with uh, the procedures and the drugs and what radiation does. And the best way to find that is through your primary cancer team, the surgical oncologist, medical oncologist, or radiation oncologist. If after all that and you're being treated in a comprehensive cancer center or a, an accredited cancer center from the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer, there should be a knowledgeable social worker, often oncology specialist, as at cancer care, who would be able to um, do some problem solving for you. Oncology nurses also really understand these things and will uh, know the right people in the system to ask. So here's the beauty of an interdisciplinary team because uh, sometimes if you can't get an answer from one member, be it because their time is short or uh, they just haven't thought it through before, use the other members of the team uh, to find out your answer or find out where you can get it. Um, the other thing I, I would add to what's been uh, what's been mentioned before is American Cancer Society. Uh, they have regional offices. There are offices in many cities. Their services really vary over the country in different parts of the United States. Some are better staffed than others. Uh, they also have a national organization. They are a good source of information of all the other people in your local area that can't answer your question. Excellent. Thank you. Um, thanks so much. Um, and a question um, for Dr. Malika. Um, I am two years out from my breast cancer diagnosis, and I'm still having problems with the trauma and the C word and fear of recurrence. 
what would you suggest? What would your suggestion to help with this? Thank you. Thank you for this question. Um, I would say that first, it's important to remember that you're not alone. Um, so there's a lot of people that when they have to go in for their follow-up care, they um, they fear even going back into the building where they received their cancer diagnosis or their treatment. So you're not alone. Um, the second thing is it's important to get help um, and to talk with someone. And so I would recommend that you um, that you ask your provider if if you should see a psychologist or a counselor or a social worker, Cancer Care also obviously has supportive resources. So reach out and talk with someone, um, especially if it's impacting your everyday life and it sounds like this has been going on for a while. And actually, I will reach out, Ashley, um, after the call um, to this participant and um, see if we can just discuss um, continue to discuss the options that Dr. Malika has identified. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, um, so this is an interesting question. Um, so uh, for Dr. Um, um, Tana Rosos, um, I don't have any long-term problems from my cancer therapy. Do I need um, to go to a survivorship clinic? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and what a great question. <laughs> and I, I think I I actually it's very difficult to say for sure um what needs you might have without knowing what cancer diagnosis or treatment you have been through. Um so the best thing if you if you're not sure is to check back with your team because there may be tests that they recommend even if you're feeling well. Um, so, it, but it's very difficult to say. But congratulations on doing well, and that's really wonderful to hear. It's wonderful to hear, absolutely. Um, and um, so, um, this question uh, for Dr. Malika: Who should I contact if I have questions after active treatment? Great question. So you want to, you really want to start with your oncology team. So your surgical oncologist or your medical oncologist or your radiation oncologist, who you're being treated um, by, you want to start there. Um, and then you want to reach out and definitely engage with your primary care provider. So at the very least, they are aware of your needs for follow-up care and for continued care. But I would start with your oncology team. Excellent. Um, it's a similar question, actually, but um, who should I contact if I have questions, if I have any questions after active treatment? Um, Dr. Tonrosos, would you like to address that? Sure. I think this is actually a pretty common scenario where the survivor is disconnected from the place where they were treated for cancer. And I think in that case, the person to speak with is actually your primary care provider. Um, that If that person is not sure, then um, they should be able to tap into resources um, themselves. So, um, uh, you know, perhaps through other oncologists or other um, cancer resources that they're aware of. But that I think that's the best way to go. Um, and um, for Dr. Malika, um, I have been away from work for a long time. Am 
I am very anxious going back to work. Do you have any tips? That's a great question. Um, so one of the challenges um, that cancer patients and survivors experience really is changes in their employment status. And they may have taken off time while they're going through treatment um, or because of how they felt or symptoms they were experiencing. And after treatment, if they feel well enough, often um, cancer survivors want to go back to work. So I think it's really important if you're staying at the same um, job or, or organization to talk with your employer um, about what you need. If there's flexibility or in today's day and age, if there's opportunities to work remotely, it's really important to communicate what you're able to do um, so that everyone is clear about both what you're able to do and the expectations from your employer. Um, and if it's a new um, position that you're applying for, I think you want to go slow um, and be realistic and be, um, be patient with yourself as you make that transition. Perhaps transition back um, gradually over time to um, whatever level of effort that you're able to do. Excellent. Thank you. And for Dr. Tarosos, um do I, um, will I need to have any additional treatment after active treatment has finished? Uh, that's also a difficult, it's really hard to know um, how to answer that question. I think it depends on your diagnosis and the treatment that you've had. There are some people who um, who require cancer treatment um, for longer periods of time or who cycle on and off periods with um, with and without treatment, but it's, it's so individualized, it's very hard to make a general statement. Um, and actually, um, for the workplace one, someone also mentioned, um, there's a, one of the participants, this is an amazing uh, program because the participants are giving some suggestions, but there is a wonderful organization out there called Cancer and Careers, and it's a wonderful resource for people that are anticipating returning to work, so that might be one. We will actually send the... Um, the um their their website to you, and that is a credible resource to consider for those of you who are, are struggling with um, return to work issues um, and then this question for Dr. Fleischman, I feel overwhelmed. Tasks that I used to do with ease are very hard for me to start now. I can't seem to finish my ever growing to do list. I always provided myself I always pride myself on being a doer people um um, um say to me they understand, but I feel disappointed in myself. Why can't I seem to get things together? If you could address this in a general way. Uh, that's a very, good, that's a, a very good question. Uh, many people have described this as they're finishing their treatment and afterwards. Um, I think it needs a little bit of soul searching. First is it that you want to do something and you can't or you don't want to do it. Um, it sounds like when you list like you very much want to do it, but that's a, a, a very important question to answer. Um, if it's that you want to do it, but you just don't feel you have the energy and the stamina um, or even the cognitive abilities that you had before, um, tell your primary care doctor, tell your the, 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 the oncology specialist who um, who has given you the bulk of your treatment 
and ask them for help because that, that's important for them to know. Um, the kinds of things that we often uh, help patients with are taking that list and putting it in priority order, what's most important first, <laughs> and then down to the things that are least important, and then take something that's fun that may be not so important and move that towards the top too, um, because it's a good idea to balance that out. Um, after that, uh, reach out for help. Uh, sometimes it is really hard to ask people for help, but uh, think about people who you've helped in the past and ask them for help now. But by prioritizing things and putting things in small steps and asking for help, it won't seem so, so impossible. Excellent. Thank you. And we have a question in front of our participants, which I'll address. Um, I need help with determining what I will do after six months of chemo and having extensive symptoms a month after. I need help with finances. I need help with my dog. I need help with managing the necessities in my home. I need help with disability concerns. So um, yes, I will definitely have one of our staff call you after the program to discuss your concerns. But just to let you know that these are these very practical issues and concerns, the practical aspects of your question, we definitely can help you with. Um, and I think um, for the part, I need help with determining what I will do next at, at, next after six months of chemo and having extensions six months later. Um, if one of our, if either um, Dr. Tarzanos or Dr. Malika would address that, just because it's probably an uncommon issue that people face um, post when they're finishing up treatment. Sure, Michelle, do you wanna? Please go right, up, go right ahead. Thanks. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, my heart just goes out to this person, honestly. I think sometimes it's hard to know even where to start. And I, I, um, I pointed to Michelle to answer this question because she did mention earlier that you're not alone. And um, that feeling of what's going to happen next is a very common feeling. Um, and I sincerely hope, you know, I know Dr. Messner already mentioned that she'll reach out to you um, with, with some resources. And um, I sincerely hope that your team is aware of how you're feeling and what you're going through and that um, they're connecting you um, with help as well, because it's, it's uh, you know, it, it sounds like... Um, a tough situation. And as we conclude the program today, I, I'm wondering if our um, our um, speakers would each give like a takeaway for people to take away from today's program, um, just something that we would like you to keep in your mind as the program. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, with Dr. Tana Rosas, and then uh, Dr. Malika, and then Dr. Fleischman. Just a Sure. Take away. Thank you. First of all, um, thank you again for this opportunity. Uh, I just, I, for me, I think the takeaway is for that that survivors know that the risks for most cancer survivors related to COVID nineteen are the same as the general population, and your fears about contracting COVID should not be keeping you from the long term follow up care that you need. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Malika? 
Yeah, so I would just drive home that you are not alone, that your life is going to be different after a cancer diagnosis, and sometimes that's positive and sometimes you experience challenges, but it's important not to compare yourself to other people and ask for help. Thank you. And Dr. Fleischman? Yes, uh, I would make sure that you're giving yourself the proper amount of time to heal. Um, I, I think uh, many patients are very eager to feel like themselves again. And um, healing from treatment, especially complicated treatment, multimodal treatment with surgery and chemotherapy and radiation therapy and hormonal therapy and targeted therapies and all the other things we're doing these days um, mean that there may be even a longer period to really gain your strength back, gain your appetite back, and really start to feel like yourself. So, again, I would ask the people who are treating you what that time frame is for most people in your situation getting um, the, the type of treatment you got. And, um, and I, I would just expect it to take a little bit longer than maybe you're hoping for. Um, and, and knowing that that may be um, it's expected and there's nothing wrong with you, um, I think it would be very helpful. Ask questions. Thank you so much. I want to thank our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. I want to thank our participants really for asking such really, really thoughtful questions and important questions that really enhance our call today. And we could go on for another hour, but I did say this would be an hour program. So I do want to acknowledge um, those of you who have asked questions and have a question yet to ask. Um, how, what about all of you? Because I don't want to forget about that. So for those of you who um, asked a question, for those of you who didn't get to ask your question, but are in queue to ask a question. And for those of you who have a question yet to ask, we'd like you to take all of that information back to your treating healthcare team. And your treating healthcare team consists of many people. It consists, first of all, of your oncology team to begin with. And then if you have any particular concerns about other types of health issues, those team members as well. But your oncology team is always a great place to start with. Um, and they know you very well. They've known you for a long time during your treatment and everything. Um, also, um, I also want to remind all of you that we don't want anyone to leave this program feeling that you're alone. I know this has been mentioned before during the program. We want you to now know that you're part of a community of support. You're going to be getting lots of resources in that survey monkey that you get tomorrow, lots of places that you can call. And CanceCare is one of them, but we're not the only only um, organization out there that can provide you with support. So we want you to know there are a lot of places that you can try, and there's no problem with calling all of them because, indeed, um, in this instance, getting information from multiple sources could be helpful, but credible sources. We do, don't want you going to um, websites that really are not, we do not consider to be carefully regulated, which means that the information provided is really, is really very up-to-date. Because, you know, we live in a world in which information is constantly, research is constantly coming forth with new information. We want to be sure you get the most up-to-date information. So that's going to be very important that those sites that we give you are well-respected and well-regulated sites with proper and correct information. Um, so as we conclude the program today, again, I want you to know that you're now part of this community of support and we are all here to help you. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. Um, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Have a great day, everyone.